Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Mark My Word is a message series designed to bring a Christ-centered focus into your life through the power of one word. Our speaker today is Senior Minister Dee Bacon. One of the things I rejoice in, uh, my family and I enjoy rejoicing in, is my wife's uh, poppy seed bread that she makes around Christmas time. She makes these little loaves and these, these little muffin kind of things, poppy seed bread. Uh, we, just, we just love it. It's got poppy seeds in it, so we give it to folks before, for Christmas as gifts. And a lot of times we tell them, hey, by the way, when you eat this, make sure you don't do a drug test because, you know, poppy seed is always dangerous. I found out that um, my wife makes poppy seed bread a little different than most. Instead of um, lemon flavoring, which is, I guess, typical for most poppy seed, she uses almond flavoring, replaces the lemon with the almond, and uh, that just makes it irresistibly delicious. Plus, she makes this like orange juice sugar glaze that she puts on top that gets real crunchy on top. Unbelievable. And I would say definitely the almonds flavoring and the orange juice flavoring glaze thing, those elements make up what I would say is the magic sauce, <laughs> the magic sauce of Shannon's poppy seed bread. And I like that phrase. I've been keen on that phrase, the magic sauce, just quite a bit of late. When we talk about the magic sauce, what we're talking about is something, an element that really turns something from okay to wow, from good to great, from it's okay running along to this is unbelievable. You know what I'm talking about? The magic sauce, the secret ingredient, the thing that makes it all work and all come together and it makes it successful, the magic sauce. If you find the magic sauce in whatever you're doing, whether it be school or cooking or uh, life or work, you find the magic sauce, you apply the magic sauce, good things happen. I want you to hold on to that thought of the magic sauce and now shift your gears, if you wouldn't mind, in remembering what we talked about last week. And we talked about the church and we talked about the purpose of the church we talked about the call for the church to be disciple makers. Last week, we applied it to the fact, to, we said, your family is your God-given opportunity to make disciples, to make Jesus followers. That came out of a calling that we looked at in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus gathers around his apostles, uh, those individuals whom he entrusted with the charge of establishing church, continuing his work. He gathers them around on a mountainside, and he says, now I'm about to go, but here's what it's all about. Here's what I want you to do. This is going to be your mission. This is going to be an extension of the ministry that I've trained you up on. Now we're really going to take it to a new level. Matthew chapter 28, let's give our attention to that if you wouldn't mind. Starting at verse 8, he says, Then Jesus came to them, he's up on a mountain hill, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Because of what's happened, my death, burial, and resurrection, I have been authorized. This is a confirmation of God's blessing, confirmation of God's work through me. All authority, I am authorized to do this, and I'm authorizing you for this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The purpose of the church of Jesus Christ is to make Jesus disciples. And a disciple 
is a person who has dedicated their life to following Jesus, living by faith, right? That means they've baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They've made a faith commitment to God, accepting the terms of grace that come because of Jesus, the work of the cross and the empty tomb. Because of Jesus, we are made right with God through faith. And not only then, we, we only come to that point. No, it's also learning to follow God's word, applying God's word and living by his will in our life. And he says, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. That means I'm with you, I'm present with you. And how does he do that? Because we said he went to heaven. Well, he did it by sending his Holy Spirit who now lives with his people, the church, Jesus followers, and in that whole process, then we continue on this mission, going and making Jesus followers, who then make Jesus followers, who then make Jesus followers, baptizing them and teaching them to follow the Lord. We're called to be disciple makers. That is the essence of our faith in Jesus Christ. The issue is, is that we've kind of lost our way, I think kind of lost our way in the way we do faith and live our life for Jesus these days. And in reflecting on it, I thought, you know what? What we've made our faith has to do with, and I, you know, I've been coming up with all this stuff. I've been coming up with these alliterations. It must be preacher disease. These are three P's. The other day I came up with three E's and three C's. And so here's three P's. This is what we've done to our faith. First of all, we've made our faith personal. We've relegated our faith to something that's personal. And by that, I mean we have made our faith all about what we get. My filling up. I go to church. I come because I want to get something for me. I want to hear my kind of music and be encouraged by my kind of preacher. I want to go to faith and be filled. I want to go, want to, go to church and be filled. I want to get what I need. In fact, I like Jesus because Jesus guarantees me uh, get out of hell card free if I die. So it's all about my personal. Second thing is we make our faith private. And by private, what I refer to is the fact that sometimes we make our faith a matter of our own personal selection. We walk through the uh, supermarket, if you want, of biblical teaching, and we say, we're going to choose that, and we're not going to choose this. And we're going to choose that because I like that, but we're not going to choose that because I can't live like that. And so we say, we like Jesus for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting. I like that, but I'm not so keen about his definition of marriage or uh, sexual purity. Oh, we, want, we like it that God says, pray in his name and you will get whatever we want. Ah, we're not so thrilled about this whole thing about living in obedience and treating one another in love. You, you see what I'm saying? And so we treat our faith, it's uh, the personal or private and then we also make our faith protected. And what does protected mean? Well, protected refers to the fact that we don't want anyone saying anything about our faith because it's protected. It's like, you know, it's, I call it, we throw the flag of don't judge me. How many of you have had, had that experience? You started speaking to someone's life. You start making a comment regarding their point of view, regarding Scripture or regarding how God is working. You might want to even call them a, regarding a, a behavior that is down downright sinful, and all of a sudden they throw the flag. And what's the flag? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. How dare you do that? My faith is protected. You cannot speak to me about my faith because you believe what you believe, and I'll believe what I believe, and as long as, you know, we don't hurt anyone and we stay in our own houses, yay, it's protected. It's a problem that we've become in our faith many times personal, private, and protected. Protected. 
Because the end result is not something that is biblical. And the result is not a fulfillment of what God has called us to do when it comes to living by faith following Jesus. End result is we are not disciples as Jesus called us to be disciples. And what happens is, is when we have personal, private, and protected aspects of what our faith is all about, we become weak in the faith. Our faith is shallow, lacking depth and power. Our faith is vulnerable to opposition. Our faith is vulnerable to being carried off in all sorts of directions with all sorts of beliefs and ideologies that do not find its grounding in God's Word. When our faith is personal, private, and protected, we don't receive what God has for us. Now, I'd like you to just consider something here. <clears throat> I came across this story. It comes from a man named John Ortberg. He was making a commentary regarding John Wesley. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church. John Wesley had, in his setting up the way he was doing church, had set up these small groups, communities. Uh, I think I, li I like the language that was used here. Um, the language of a small group. What did he say here? Let me find it. Huh. I'm jumping all over the place today. Must have had too much coffee. Coffee is the magic sauce. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, coffee is the magic sauce. All right, here we go. He called them watching over one another in love, communities where we watch over one another in love. And the purpose of these communities was to really fulfill this calling to make sure that we are following what God has called us to do, right? And so this is what he said. He said, one of the ways you can find out, evaluate your faith is this. Consider these questions. Wesley said that when you get part of, this, part of one of these groups, you had to be willing to undergo these questions that would see if you were ready to participate in one of these groups. And I think this is a good evaluation on us. Ask yourself, if I was asked these questions, would I squirm? Would I rebel? Would I say, no way, Jose? Maybe not Jose, but no way, Jimmy, whatever. Uh, you know, here, here's the say. It says, does any sin inward or outward have dominion over you? Do you desire to be told all of all your faults that are plain and clear? Do you desire that we should tell you whatsoever we think, whatsoever we fear, whatsoever we hear concerning you? Do you desire that in doing this we should come as close as possible, that we should cut to the quick and research your heart to the bottom? Is it your desire and design to be on this and all other occasions entirely open so as to speak everything that is in your heart without exception, without disguise, without reserve? See, Wesley wasn't trying to do mind control and cultic behavior. No, what Wesley was pursuing was pursuing communities where Christians held each other close, and in holding each other close, they held each other accountable so that what would happen? Discipleship would occur. And it's messy and it's difficult and it's hard, but that is what the call is. Now, we were talking about magic sauce, and this is where I jumped ahead a little bit here, but we were talking about magic sauce, and I've been wrestling, okay, what is the magic sauce? What is the one element that uh, really comes together and sums up what it means to be a disciple? If I'm called to make disciples, what's the, is there a magic sauce concept 
that we can apply to church to see that happening today in our church? What is the, the magic source of this mission to make disciples? And you could say, well, look in the Scripture. You obviously need the gospel that's un, unwatered down, the gospel that comes from the Scriptures, and a commitment to the God's Word. Yes. You obviously need a commitment of individuals who are willing to be obedient to the calling, to, to share the, the message of Jesus with others, and to invest themselves in, in, in helping them learn to walk with Jesus. Yes. And of course, it doesn't work without the Holy Spirit, though I'm with you always to the end of the earth. This is a movement of the Holy Spirit where individuals are following the Holy Spirit's God assignments to fulfill their calling within the family business. So it needs the Holy Spirit. But is there one concept, Didi? Is there one thing that we could say, you know, if people latch onto this, this will help them understand what it means to be a disciple maker? What is the magic sauce? And I think I found it. Well, for me, and now for you, <laughs> what is the magic source of disciple-making? Well, the magic source, I believe, for disciple-making, how we see applied what, we, what we're looking at in Scripture and how we get to the place where we can be in environments where we're comfortable with these kind of really heartfelt questions that are described by John Wesley and John Wesley's group. What, what's the magic source? Belonging. I believe belonging is the magic sauce. When we commit to belonging, we will commit ourselves to disciple-making in the church. You see, the message Rick shared this at communion, the message of the Bible is that God sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What are we talking about? We're talking of me that God has provided a way for us who were outside the family now to become part of the family to belong to God. And not only that, as we belong to God, we exercise our belonging to God by learning to belong to one another. In communion, we celebrate we're belonging to God and we also celebrate that in that we belong to one another. Because belonging is the magic source, and we commit ourselves to belonging, that's the place in which we're able to become disciple-makers. That's where we can fulfill this call to make Jesus followers, baptizing them, bringing them to faith, and teaching them how to obey, how to live for Jesus. Belonging is the magic source, but belonging is difficult. Belonging is difficult. It's a hard concept for us. Why? Because we tend to like to think of our faith as what? Personal, private, protected. Now, I'm so grateful for our scriptures because our scriptures speak to issues that we deal with today. And the book of Hebrews tells the story of a community of faith that was struggling to live out this calling to be disciple makers. We had individuals who had been Christians for a long time. They were from Jewish heritage who had accepted the message of Jesus, that they said, yes, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah promised long ago. And they had given themselves and lived a number of years following Jesus, seeing God work through them by His Holy Spirit. But because we find out the occasion of the writing, we discover that now they were having a difficult time. The first element that was giving them a tough time was the fact that they were starting to receive persecution for their faith. The authorities had turned against Christians. And now there was a cost to pay for following Jesus that meant loss of job, imprisonment, beatings, pressure, possibly death. Secondly, they were also struggling with some teaching that had been, the church had been dealing for a long time, but some teaching that came from Jewish roots that basically said that 
Jewish religion, the Old Testament, was equally valid than, than what Jesus offered. And in fact, it provided them a neat kind of jump. So they said, hey, if you go back to being Jews, which is a protected religion under the Roman law, you won't face persecution and you'll still be worshiping God. You'll still be in the club. You'll still be part of the family. It will be okay. And thirdly, because of their situation, they had stopped investing their lives in each other. They had stopped meeting together. And I'm not talking just going to church. I'm talking meeting and fellowshipping. Makes sense. You know, if you gather in a group of Christians, you're more likely to be discovered and uh, prosecuted, right? So if you stop meeting with fellow Christians in Christian circles, then what happens? Well, you're less likely to be prosecuted, and that's what they were doing. But the problem with that is that it was causing them to come to a point where they were very much ready to reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the warning of Hebrews is that if you do that, if you turn away from the faith, if you commit this decision where you turn away from Jesus and return to Judaism, you are in danger of losing it all. We're saved by grace through faith. If you have no faith, then grace can't work. And so the letter to the Hebrews is an instruction to say, hey, don't turn away from Jesus. See, they were, they were making their faith first personal. Hey, uh, I'm suffering for Jesus. I don't think this is what I was assigned to do. This is not what I, I want. This is what I was promised. Again, it started becoming about them. They were making their faith private. They were like, eh, you know, Jesus is just an option. It's okay. I'll accept this other teaching that will add to my faith. They were making their, their, their faith protected. In fact, they were starting to go become by themselves, not engaged in each other's lives, where they could remind each other of the things that they had taught. They can remind each other of the, the blessings they had received in God. They could remind and encourage one another to keep faithful. And in that, they were coming to a point where they were vulnerable. Vulnerable, the Hebrew writer says, to the point where they could lose it all. And so we have this encouragement in various places, but it all comes together. I, I love this text in Hebrews chapter 10. Here's a, a point of encouragement. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may, conspur, how we may spur on one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I just want you to take note of the action words here. First of all, he says, first, let us hold unswervingly. That's a, that's a nice word, and unswervingly. We say that regularly. But anyway, unswervingly means just don't give up. Stay on target. Stay the course. And what do you hold on to? Hold on to the faith that you receive, the hope that you profess. Why? Because God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Don't let go of what you receive from the beginning and compromise in your faith. And the means in which you will be encouraged on not compromising is this. The next action step. Let us consider, let us dream, let us plan, let us think about, let us go to gather when we gather to church, think about not whether or not there's going to be good coffee or, or good music or Didi's going to be crazy or not crazy or whatever you're thinking about. Instead, think about how it is you're going to have interactions with those that you're going to meet. And in those meetings, whether it's a church or small group or ministry, you're going to do what you can to encourage that person to what? Love and good deeds. You're going to encourage them to live faithfully to Jesus. 
Let us consider how we can spur one another in love of good deeds. And then he says, let's stop, not stop meeting together. And he's not talking about this gathering per se. He's talking about meeting together, being in each other's lives. Let's not stop doing this. But instead, let's look for the opportunities to get together so that we might give each other courage, encouragement. The word parakaleo is here. Let's walk with one another. When one's weak, we'll pick him up. When one's strong, he can help out. You know what I'm talking about? That's, that's the kind of thing that you've got to give yourself to. Why? To fulfill the calling to be disciple makers who make disciples. And this all comes together, this all works, this all is made possible, I believe, if we commit to belonging. See, he points out that our faith in Christ is strengthened through belonging. The commitment to God and the commitment to others. The commitment to give what we have been given in God to bless others. The commitment not to let go of gathering with others, even though sometimes our church family drive us crazy, these people are weird, whatever, I don't know. But giving ourselves in the messiness of the relationships that we have in dealing with people as we live life together. Giving what we have so that we can encourage them to walk in Jesus as they encourage us to walk in Jesus. You see, when we make this commitment, what happens is this. Instead of being personal, our faith needs to be communal. Instead of being private, our faith needs to be shared. Instead of protected, our faith needs to be made known. Faith is not about me, it's about we. Faith is, is not about what I choose, but instead what I, am, I receive from God and I share with others to bless others, God and others. Love God, love people. Faith is, is not to be protected, but instead to be open so that others can pour into me and I can pour into others and that we can both spur one another to love and good deeds, encouraging one another, not forsaking the meeting. This is what I mean by belonging. This is the definition of belonging in the church. But how does it work today? What does it look like in our, in our day-to-day? And I was challenged on that question because I, you know, told the staff, they've heard enough of this, belonging is the magic sauce. Yeah, yeah, Didi, you know, all your little orations, but belonging is the magic sauce, belonging is the magic sauce. We're going to be disciple-making church who makes disciples. This is the commitment we had, belonging is the magic sauce. Well, what does belonging look like? What does that really mean on the, on the day-to-day real-life person? Well, here's, what, here's where, where we are. Belonging begins... First, when I know your name. Does that make sense? You feel welcome where someone knows your name, right? Some of you starting to sing the song, right? Cheers. Where everybody knows. Well, why does that work? Why does that work? It's because it begins with people knowing your name. If someone knows your name, it means that they are interested in your life. They count you as an individual, and they count you as valuable. And if they're in Christ, as value to give. It begins with knowing your name. We live in a world that we're not too familiar with the people around us and their names. Because we're so busy, and we've got all this other stuff that keeps us from that, we don't each other know each other's names. Typically, if we don't know someone, we try to remember their face and we look them up on Facebook, right? <laughs> A lot of Facebook stalking. 
I've always been fascinated with the Amish. When I first came to the States, you know, like the Amish, um, we used to go out to Kime Family Market regularly. Do you remember that? My kids were little. Great beef jerky. And those cinnamon buns, you buy it, it doesn't make it to Eastgate. <laughs> you just call and stop eating. I used to wonder about the Amish. You know, they make their commitment, the way they dress and the things they do. But I was always like, there's some, some things I don't understand. How is it that you won't drive a car, but you use a cash register, operated cash register? Or how is it you will allow medical, major medical treatment, but you won't watch TV? What's that all about? And I was fascinated by an article that I just came about this recently by a man named Jameson Wetmore. He's an engineer and social researcher at the Arizona State University School for the Future of Innovation and Society. <laughs> he studied the Amish intensively and their perspective on technology, and this is what he said. He said, in an interview, he said, the reason why the Amish has rejected television is because it's a one-way conduit to bring another society into their living rooms. And they want to maintain the society as they've created it, and the automobile as well. As soon as you have a car your ability to leave your local community to become significantly easier. You no longer have to rely on your neighbors for eggs when you run out. You can literally take half an hour and run to the store. He said, in a horse and buggy, when you don't have your own chickens, that's a half a day process. Now, this is where, this is where we're going to take attention here. This is what he said. he said. He said, once he asked an Amish person why they didn't use automobiles, cars, and the Amish guy said, simply, simply smiled and turned to him and said, look at what they've done to your society. Jamison asked, what do you mean? The Amish guy said, well, do you know your neighbor? Do you know the names of your neighbors? And at that time, Jamison had to admit to the fact that he didn't. See, knowing your name is the beginning of belonging. And we know that those places that do a really good job of knowing your name are the places that we tend to feel most welcome and give our business to and attention to, don't they? Know your name. Belonging begins with knowing your name, but then it has to go beyond that, right? I mean, it's, if you just know your name, that's just one place. It's the front door of it, but it has to go beyond that. In disciple-making, it has to go with, I know your name, and I'm interested in, in giving what I have to help you walk in faith. It's knowing your name with an interest, we would say, summarize it, to love. To give what I have to bless you. This is where this, consider ways in which you can spur one another on to love and good deeds. I will give you what I have. And if I know your name and I know you have a prayer need, what can I give you? I'm going to give you my prayer. I'm going to offer up to the Lord, your name and your request. If I know your name and I am interested in your faith walk and I know you're struggling, I'm going to pray to the Lord that I might be given the gift of encouragement or the gift of wisdom and, the, you know, there's gifts lifted. If you, I know your name and I know you're hurt and need of healing, I'm going, to, I'm going to be able to pray to the Lord and ask the Spirit to heal. See how it works? If I know your name in belonging and I'm interested in investing what God has given to you, I'm going to be able to facilitate the vision, the mission of the church. Make disciples. Help one another grow in following Jesus. 
I shared with this congregation, we've been going through the word, one word thing, and I shared my word is small. My one word is small. And by small, I mean I am going to give the best of me, my best energy, best of myself to the small things of my life, my small bites of food. I'm going to pay attention to that. I have the small habits that, that add up to my day-to-day, my sleep patterns. And there's some personal stuff. But ministry-wise, I'm going to invest in the small relationships, the small connections, the small groups that God has assigned me, and I'm going to invest in them and the reason I've come to this place is really a journey that, that has to do with this whole call to be disciple makers. Belonging is the magic source of disciple making. And it's a personal journey that I've in, entered into three years ago. I was invited to be part of a smaller group of individuals. I got contacted through a, a minister friend who said, you need, a, you need a, this, this guy out there in Colorado is pulling together a, a group and he has... Four minister types come around and you journey together. And the goal of the, the, the group is simply this. We hold each other close. And in holding each other close, we can hold each other accountable. But we just provide soul care for one another. And so the structure is we, we meet together twice a year. And in the months that we don't meet together, we talk together on a conference call once a month. And simply the process is that we talk about what's going on in our life. We, we share, we have insights from the mentor and guides us through processes where we, we, we talk about life. And in that small, I will tell you this, it's been the most significant, significant growth for me personally. And I began to see firsthand the power of belonging and the means in which Jesus, the way in which Jesus discipled his process, it begins with small. And out of this, I've come up with this phrase that I think this is how belonging works. We have to go small, and we have to go strong, and we have to go slow. Small means that, that discipleship happens with a few, right? We, we tend to think that life change occurs in the big, and I'm not saying that life change hasn't occurred in the big, but I think the disciple-making process that it was initiated by Jesus, when he says, go and make disciples, the assumption is go and make disciples, guys, in the way that I've discipled you, you go and disciple others, and they'll disciple others, and they'll disciple others, disciple-makers making disciple-makers who make disciples. Well, the medium of that is not this big, but in the small. The big doesn't energize the small. No, the small brings power to the big. And God working in the small motivates us then to gather together in the big to see something powerful. And so it's in the small, and, and, and I've experienced that, the, these small groups. I have a, I, I've, I've begun to see the power of the small, paying attention to those God assignments where I'm connected to a few. But then... As small, we have to realize it's, it's cool to have a few small friends. That's most of us have a few small uh, group of friends. But in that, we have to go strong. And by strong, I mean we have to be interested in each other's faith walk to talk about heart matters, to dive into the deep waters. I've been able to have the honor to be part of a group here at Mount Carmel with three other younger, younger guys 
And through that process, first year, now we're into our second year of meeting regularly, we're getting into some deep stuff, strong. We're talking about how the Bible and living faith applies in a crisis of a parent who was suddenly injured or a son who was really sick or how to witness at work or how to honor your wife in Christ or to be a father that does his part in rearing up the children and in dealing with issues of career change. See, that can only happen when you're small. You can only go strong and deal with the things of Jesus when you're in the small. You go small, you go strong, and then you have to go slow. And this thing is the hardest part of me, for me, because I'm Didi the Speedy. For me, if I can have a program, A, B, C, one, two, three, hey, presto, you're good, let's go, let's go move on, that would be me, but that's not how it works. Study any significant leader in the Bible, and you will notice that there was a season of waiting. Paul spent three years before he was released to ministry. Jesus, 40 days. Moses, 40 years. He was a hard nut to crack. Um, <laughs> individuals called by God had a season of slow. And I believe this disciplement process, Jesus spent three years with the 12 before he released them. Three years. This process of slow is very important to remember. That if we're going to be individuals who are given ourselves to fulfill the small, the strong, we're going to have to go slow. Go slow. Because belonging is the magic sauce of disciple-making. And disciple-making happens when we go small, go strong, and go slow. I've said this before. I've said, you know, our vision is that we would see a major change in our community. The West Claremont School District, the Eastgate area, was once studied by sociologists in the year 2025. And in the year 2025, sociologists looked at this community and said something was different about this community. Divorce rates were lower than the national average. Abortion rates were far lower than the national average. School systems were known for being good because of the kids coming out of the families that went there. The community was known for its generosity and decency. Businesses saw this area as a major resource to, to get people who live in this area to come work. Why? Because they were hardworking, integrity people, people who were committed to honor their workers and to honor their bosses. That the heroin epidemic all of a sudden kind of went away, went down. And I would love for that study to go on and to say, okay, in the year 2025, this happened, and what were the causes of that? Why is that? And in that then, they would say, you know, the cause of this was because of the work of the church of Jesus Christ, Christian churches like Mount Carmel Christian Church, and let's name other community churches within our community who are committed to living God's Word 
by God's will. It was because of these churches that we have these differences. These folks loved God first and loved each other and lived in accordance to that way. They were Jesus followers who made Jesus followers, and that transformed a community that will then serve as a light. And the way that happens, I used to think, well, that's going to happen if we get bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, no. Didi, it's going to happen when we commit to the small. When every one of you who are members of this church recognize that you have been called and equipped and enthused to fulfill this calling, to recognize who your small is, those people who God has called you to be an influence in. And you're like, I don't, I'm, I'm new to faith. I don't know my Bible. But guess what? There's someone in your life that you know just a little bit more. Someone you've lived, that, that you, you've dealt with something and you've prayed through and, and you can encourage them. You might be a baby in the faith or you might be a young child in the faith or you might be a, a young adult in the faith or you might be a, a mature, mature parent in the faith. Regardless, every one of us is called to this, this mission to give what we have to bless another. And every one of us takes that responsibility being equipped by God, by His Spirit, through the work of this church, and we invest in, each, uh, in those who are small, going strong, deep waters of life, and going slow. And as we do this, we see the transformational work of God's Spirit, and we see the fulfillment of the mission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Make disciples who make disciples. Belonging is the magic sauce. Belonging begins when I know your name and I'm interested in your faith walk, going small, going strong, going slow. Not easy. Can get messy. Can be disappointing. But it's the way. It's Jesus' way. Let's stand. We're going to pray. A couple of elders are going to be available up front to pray with you in person, their own small touch if you'd like. After we pray, uh, before you dismiss, I just want to let everyone know, after we pray, that we are going into a new series next week. We're going to go, we're working through the gospel of Mark, talking about Jesus. And we're launching a number of small groups, new small groups. If you are interested in giving a small group a try, opportunity where you can go small and go strong, go slow, opportunity where you can uh, perhaps have a place to apply what, what I've talked about. I encourage you to uh, stop by the table in the back, look for, for Tim Peace. He's the young guy with the beard and the bald head. Um, he's sang out here a little bit. Just, huh? Yeah. Uh, and uh, see, see Tim. He's out there. And uh, sign up for a group. Give it a try. All right? So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for your love. And I thank you for um, your word. I thank you for those people in our life whom we would say are part of our small, that have invested in us and have been faithful to this calling, who have given what they had from you to spur us to commit to our faith that we have now to help us learn to love and good deeds.
who encouraged us as we struggled and as we fell and helped us get back up so that we might be where we are. Pray, Lord, that you would give us insight into the people that we've called to do. Last week, we talked about our own family as a place for discipleship, and that, that's so true, but there are others in the family of faith whom uh, we have opportunity because you assign them to, to into our lives who have opportunity for us to invest and help us to be aware of that, help us to resent, resist the temptation to make uh, following you a matter of something's personal and private or protected, but instead help us to be obedient to our calling to make disciples who make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.